So, welcome everybody. Podcast number 85. Greg Pederitis unfortunately cannot uh, connect with us due to some technological issues. So, um, instead, we're going to do probably a little Q&A and, um, and talk about recent events to deal with the bowling industry and anything you guys want to talk about. We do have some topics. Um, you know, we're not, we're not completely brain dead. So um, that, 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 damn close. speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that is there. So, I mean, we do have some topics. Maybe we can bring some of you guys on. Um, we can talk about our trick shots. I think I'm writing them all down right now. We're that's how that's how great we are. So um, we got trick Scott, shots. We, Scott, we do too. We do too. <laughs> we got trick shots. Uh, we got we got Dexter's rant. Um, we're gonna do that. Uh, I wish um, I could you know what? change the name of this uh, this thing. I don't believe I yeah, can. We, you know, like so bad you, you watch you watch Tim and Sid. It could be Tim and Dexter's. It could be like the the. Sid's rant about the Olympic ice hockey. Maybe it's Dexter's rant. Um, uh, we can talk about the uh, the C five meetings that I was part of. Hey, Gino, keep it down. Um, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe we can bring back Helene on. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, you know what? Maybe we can, if we wanted to, maybe we can even throw JB on and maybe talk about his new website about the bet uh, the two six five average thing. Yeah, yeah that, some... that is it's two six zero, Tim. Two six zero. Um, I don't know how you got a five out of the bowling bet, ball. Bet, bet three six five. It looks know, almost same, exactly same. the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so how how, how about but, how, yeah, what if JB wants to come on? We can we can schedule JB on from. Uh, I will I will send JB the link there, and then see, he can look, us. Beautiful. There we go. So how about I start go off? From, go from GP to JB. Same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how about we, yeah. So how about we start off with maybe the C5 means we can talk about that a little bit. Um, we didn't want to touch on the base for that because we had a, such a great uh, podcast last week with Helene. So, um, we really enjoyed her last week. Yes, it was awesome. Um, but yeah, so C5 AGM was last couple weekends ago. Um, obviously it was short and sweet a little bit. Um, but Obviously, we we all heard the news that the Open was canceled and the IP was canceled this year, and that was kind of expected with all the the provincial regulations and the restrictions and the nationals and everything else like that. Uh, there was talks uh, when we were talking with the presidents and maybe doing like an online uh, virtual. And obviously, we we have sort of have an idea. Um, <laughs> we sort of have an idea of what's going on with Piping Universe and our live streaming, and I just knew it was, it was such a big undertaking, and it'd be such a gong show with that. So, yeah. um, as much as I am I'm an advocate of trying to, you know, carry on, I, I just knew that was going to be a, an avenue that just wasn't going to go forward with that. Obviously, they're going to try to do YC. Uh, there's some funny things with that, um, but with YC, they're going to still try to do that. Um, but again, that's still up in the air with that um other little things that we did was uh we passed the new uh official down pin rule we like to call that the michael whist rule um because michael likes to cheat a lot at the tpc so if he's here <laughs> he uh, cheated himself with 15 grand 15 grand yes um so it's pretty straightforward i knew some people in newfoundland from my understanding have a hard time understanding it so we'll we'll just clear it up here right here on 5p universe because I can say, and obviously there's no red tape. 
Um, if it's not down, it's, 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 not, not, down. it's not down. So uh, <laughs> there, there's no such thing as a leaning pin anymore or off its yes. gates. Okay. Leaning pin is re- leaning is removed from the rule completely. All right. So off its base does not count as down. Correct. So unless the only restriction is if there's a mechanism snag where a string gets pulled and the shield's coming down, you can see it because of a string mechanical error, right? Or or if if it's yeah. That's the yeah. only. That's the only real thing. And yeah. and, and or, if it's or, free- or if a pin is holding it, right? Correct. Yeah, yes. exactly. If it's leaning on a pin and it and that's holding it up, then that's that. But uh, if it's just off its base, that isn't a thing anymore. That isn't a thing anymore. That's so, still up. So so there's nothing like that. So yeah. So Andrew, please tell your Newfoundland buddies out there that's that's not an issue anymore. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Pin um, better be over. Yes. So I, we always thought out here, we talked about in Alberta, it's like, if it's not down, it's not down. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, so many times we saw a pin go from here. Oh, what's straight on this thing? <laughs> Holy crap. This is hard. Uh, other arm. Here we go. <laughs> I go from here to, to here. And everyone's like, it's down. They you can't do that anymore. That's not down. There's no way that pin was going to go down. So yeah. yes, here we go. No. Yeah. If there's arguments, Chris, send them to Tim. Yeah, I have no problem. <laughs> I'll give you down. Tim's phone number. I'll post it on this podcast. I don't even yeah. care. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to when it comes to free fall, if somebody if there's an issue with a, a pin or a uh, a ball and it's and it's there, somebody has to pull that pin or ball out, and then if it falls and properly then it's obviously down if it goes back straight back up then it's up so yeah so that's basically the same rule that already existed for for a free fall yeah, before free fall, right yeah correct yeah yeah so it's it's all good yeah so i i think that's the fairest way of doing the thing so i'm, I'm interested to see how things go and uh yeah hey, Brett, i've never tried to grease a leaning pin i always it, it, yeah. say it's up yeah, it pr- pretty much. I, I, that's that's kind of a good karma thing for me too. Like whenever I've seen it and it's been yeah. close, I'm like, not nah, you know what? I'm shooting at it um, yeah. because I, I just I would hate to. Yeah, exactly, Andrew. That's exactly it. I would I would hate to have people question stuff like that. And um, now it's either down or it's up, and that's pretty much it. So um, yeah, pretty pretty much pretty tall from our shot. Perfect game. We got me. That's what I say. And, <laughs> and, but we're, we're, you know what? We're playing matches for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're playing major matches for gold medals and nationals and all this stuff, and and it's a hearsay, you know, sort of thing. And uh, he said, she said, and no, it's just it's time that that rule gets abolished, especially when there's lots of times where there's lots of things on the line, and you know, um, this will this will stop some arguments and some anger, I think. Obviously, you're still going to get the people that think a string is holding it up or whatever. Like a majority rule will have to be applied to that. I think when you're in matches and stuff like that, but there will be no longer the pin just a little bit off. The, the yeah. pin yeah. has to look like it's falling in order to get counted. So the hard and, and sorry and and when a string is holding a pin up, it's it's almost always really obvious. It's rare, um, but it's always pretty obvious. You know. Um, the pin will fall off and then kind of just swing around in a circle sort of thing because the string doesn't release. Um, but that pin will still go 
it just it just won't go all the way over so yeah um yeah yeah no i i think it's fair um i yeah looks like everybody's happy with the rule change that that's good yeah yeah uh i know i know i know michael is so I, I, that's good there's lots of technical issues that probably could be used to address this, Brett. Um, obviously, the C5 is probably looking at some stuff like that. But I always thought of a cool idea, something that could be added to maybe the the top of the pin as like a, a level or something. And after it goes over so many degrees, it counts as a down pin or whatever. But that's a lot more um, mechanical and computer work that would need to be to do something like that. Yeah, Brett, are yeah. you referring to... Are you referring to like the speed in which a machine cycles, like how quickly it cycles? Because if that's the case on the, uh, at least for the CA1s, I know on the B5 board, there's a set screw that you can adjust it. Um, and that'll set, set the timing. I think it only goes up to three seconds from the first time that a pin gets hit. Um, but uh, yeah, there is an adjustment on there for that. So yeah, no. The other thing, the other thing two people have to realize is, the, the big rule is if, if a lot of you guys have worked in a center too, is uh, the black bases are so tough to figure out what's, what's leaning now with the, without the white bases. Right. Yeah, and the other do. thing, the other thing is too, with those, with those bases um, they're, they're soft too. Right. So you can have a, like, even on the white ones too, um, they could be uh, battered and beaten. And so when you actually have them sitting down, they could either be, um, they can either automatically be leaning already. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're yeah. right. And, and all your pins go right into the pit palmer. Yeah, Correct. palmer throws nothing but strikes if he hits the middle, so it's fine. Right, <laughs> and and the other um, and the other thing is too. I mean, the pucks themselves could be worn in too, right? And that could be also be leaning. Uh, yes, Nathan, if it's not not up there, it will be up shortly. Yes, correct. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's that's a. Um, I think a really good rule in the right direction for um, our sport entertainment wise. I don't think people are really going to care anyways, right? It's for the competitive side yeah. of it that it makes a lot more sense. And um, it is a lot more clear now, I think yeah. than it was before. I, I think, yeah, I think, I think it adds to the professionalism <laughs> of the game. You know, it, it just takes out the guesswork and uh, yeah. I'll change bases out once we get rid of the, uh, I'll get rid of the, Whatever that that cheap thing Mike, you use, Tweety. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get rid of the bases when you take off half a barrel of oil off your lanes first, <laughs> and stop using the stick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're senior this, master. This podcast so. is just going to be about bashing people today. I think it's, it's fun. <laughs> it's not a podcast, and it isn't uh, sponsored, so we don't have to hurt yeah. worry about hurting anybody's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> um is jb coming on uh yeah he's uh just getting ready i imagine he's probably mixing a drink or two okay. <laughs> that's that's fair um i, I should have done the same thing so yeah so i guess i guess the, the next we're not afraid of the stick you haven't won anything lately tweety um <laughs> heartland bowling <laughs> yeah uh, um i guess i guess the other thing is uh we, we could talk about is uh in alberta um, we just got off the phone with the town hall meeting with our, our health minister and everything else like that. Our premier about our updated um, updated rules. Uh, they, they they come up with new steps now, 
um, and step one started on starting on Monday. Um, now they, they put all sports in blanket sports. So now they're talking about, uh, they're talking about blanket sports. So gyms can open up and restaurants can open up and so on and so forth. Um, so they put everybody all in the same grouped all sports in, in one. They grouped all sports in one. So now bowling alleys can open up apparently on Monday if it's one on one. Oh, Greg's here actually. Uh, if it's if it's if it's one if it's one on one only with a certified coach. Yeah, that to blanket that statement. That's so so tough for the bowling industry, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So this is, this is kind of what my rant is about. And like, I, you know, I lost my mind on Monday when I started hearing this coming down, down the line. And then I kind of settled off for the last couple of days, knowing that we had a town hall coming in tonight and the town hall rolls around and we don't even get to talk. Um, This is, this is absolutely astronomically ass backwards i do not understand how they're able to even consider this for bowling at all so it's going to be one-on-one uh you must have a coach a certified coach or trainer with them at all times um it's now not six feet apart it's 10 feet apart for spacing so realistically in our center of 16 lanes we can use five or six lanes depending on how we space it out um if we have to employ those people to be down there with those bowlers, that means that we're going to have to employ six staff members to have five people playing. And um, somehow in all of that, uh, if we're allowed to open in any sort of capacity, so um, rent subsidy for us currently is 90%. If you are mandated to be closed, uh, you get a 90% rent subsidy. Um, if you are allowed to be open in any capacity, that rent subsidy changes to 65%. So um, here we are having to reopen, and that immediately costs us $8,000 a month to reopen and try to do something one-on-one with people where you're going to make 20 bucks a person in an hour as a business and how how is this feasible for anybody in this sport they're going to absolutely destroy the sport by putting in these restrictions haphazardly and not thinking any of this shit through and uh and not only that it's one-on-one and you can't even put it in scoring they did say that you know what if you're going to have one-on-one you you might be able to bring in a a, a member of your household but no, no one's going to want to go bowling because they're not even going to get to see their scores it's literally just training so we have to open up and lose 25% of rent subsidy because they decide that, hey, you're the same as a gym with a personal fucking trainer. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yes. So, uh, I, like, I like the rant. Um, like so uh, we do have a couple of guests that did show up. Um, what we're going to do first in is we're going to bring JB in because um, we invited him to talk about his uh, new project. He is uh, taken underhand here in the bowling uh, sport. And then after that, we will, if JB wants to stick around, he's more than happy to stick around and discuss some stuff. And we're going to introduce our special guest of the week. So um, Greg, if you're cool with that, just hang out in the background and I'll bring you in when we're ready for you. All right, JB, how are you? I'm all right. Test one, two. Do you hear me? Yes. We hear you. Yeah. Excellent. Well, then, 
Thanks very much. <laughs> How's it going, buddy? Good to see you. Pretty well. So thanks very much. A little, uh, little of the maple rye. Uh, thanks again, Tim. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Got to support so each other in their endeavors, endeavors these days. Indeed. Yeah. So JB, um, obviously we shared your project as Five Pin Universe and stuff like that. But tell tell us and the chat all about uh, your your new project. So I um, I just decided uh, that uh, I finally want to throw myself into being good at this game. So um, I I was thinking about what could I do that would be enjoyable for me that would give me a bit of a creative outlet. Um, and that might provide something that's a little bit of a counterpoint to what you folks are doing with, with Five Pin Universe and to give sort of a little bit of the narrative media side of things. And I wanted an excuse to play around with some technology that's good for my, you know, for my software consulting business as well. So everything kind of came together. And being in one of the few parts of the country that can actually bowl regularly uh, where things kind of feel somewhat normal, um, yeah. If it gives, if it gives people a chance to feel a little bit like they can live vicariously through somebody else's uh, uh, struggles, then I thought that might be a, a nice thing to do. And when I was trying to think of what to call it, um, as usually happens with these things, you try to come up with a name that reflects what's really going on, and you struggle with a whole bunch of things, and the name just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then at some point, you just realize, no, this is ridiculous. Just like, what the fuck is this really about? <laughs> and that's the name. And so I just sat there and I thought, yeah, you know what? I just, I, I want to be a 260 bowler. I think I can be a 260 bowler. So I'm going to be the 260 bowler. So that's when I got the idea for the, the logo. I have no idea how well this is going to work, but I'm going to try it. Let's see. Will oh, this nice. work? Uh, yeah. <laughs> if by chance that worked. Yeah, of course, I can definitely add that there. All right. So it's that simple. So here we are. Uh, I came up with the logo. It was funny. Uh, Sarah came up into the office here where all the lights are, and we took like 30 photos of one of my bowling balls to try to get like the perfect angle with the perfect lighting. And I just picked a, uh, a shot at random, cropped it, ran it through like the cartoonizer, and used it. So she was really happy about all the work she did to try to take the perfect photo from the perfect angle, with the perfect lighting, and holding all this stuff. And we said, what, you just chose the first shot and it worked? Eh, sometimes that's how it goes. And so, right, you can see you can see the basic elements, right? Um, I didn't intend for it to look like 1980 San Diego Padres. That's just kind of how the colors worked. Um, but so anyone who wants to just read a little bit about some poor schmuck's attempt to actually go from sort of good to great. Um, that's what I'm planning to do. Uh, and I really do have to thank both um, you guys and uh, Tom Patterson for your roles in, in helping me decide, finally decide to really do this. Um, for the eight people in there who read it, um, when I wrote uh, now, all three and a half years ago, my article, um, when Five Pin Universe was first taken off, I reread it recently, and it sort of had this really somber, wistful feel about, you know, all the, you know, regrets of, of things not achieved, and, and I, I thought, well, 
I'm not dead yet. Um, my body hasn't completely fallen apart. I'm finally starting to get a sense of, of uh, the mental side of the game. I can still do this. So I decided, ah, what the hell, I'm going to do it. And, um, you know, Tom's been really nice in working with me on the mental side of the game for the last few months. And, yeah, I finally just decided to hell with this. I'm going to stop thinking of myself as the person who could have done it. And instead, I'm going to think of myself as a person who can do it. So if uh, if you'd like to uh, experience this, then please come over here, subscribe. Uh, you can get um, the articles pretty much any way you want, including um, email. I think it, it'll tweet at you. It might even send you Facebook messages. I don't know. This is a little stuff about the, the PEI Open, you know, since we got to have one. Um, and yeah, so that's that's what I'm doing. And, uh, and I hope that people are uh, interested in following along. And, and I have to say, folks, I need your help. Please, please <laughs> help me. So get involved in the discussions. Don't be afraid. I mean, it's one, you know, I can't seem to lure you people off Facebook as much as I would like to. Um, the only reason I'm on Facebook is because you five pin people insist on being in this horrible place and I can't, <laughs> nobody, there's like two bowlers on Twitter. Um, and so I, I really appreciate it if people would subscribe, read, I don't know how much I'm going to write. I'm thinking of somewhere between like three and eight times a month. Um, uh, it depends really on how much I have to say. I don't want to be one of those writers who writes twice a week whether he has something to say or not. Um, but, you know, I want to tell some stories about um, growing up as a bowler and, you know, sort of what that, how that affects the way I think of the game now. All the psychology stuff that I've been reading about in the last 10 years, partly for this and partly for my work as a consultant, that is all coming together. And then just, you know, stories of the up and down of bowling shit like I did tonight um, and uh, maybe enjoying the occasional uh, good scores too. And, um, yeah. and yeah, so I, you know, I hope, I hope people will follow along and that they will don't just read, please get involved in the discussions. I need your help that I, I can, I cannot do this alone. And actually, yeah. I tried doing it alone and it didn't work. I, I yeah. got the 237 and stopped. So that's not good enough anymore. Yeah. Uh, for, so please, for sure. Please, I really hope the bowling community takes part of it. I think it's a great idea. I do have a couple suggestions for you. So, sure. I, so what I've been told, because I'm actually a Twitter person, that Twitter is for mm -hmm. old people. So that might That's be a reason why. Facebook is for older people. <laughs> it's for older uh, people to talk about their grades. TikTok's where it's at, JB. Uh, just ask Dexter. He can help you through that <laughs> yeah. if you need it. Um, I, I I tried taking some B-roll as I was walking up to the lanes tonight so that I could have something ready to do some, you know, some, uh, some little clips. Unfortunately, I had a hell of a lot more energy walking up to the lanes than I did walking back tonight. So that's why I didn't post anything. <laughs> totally 567 totally triple will do. <laughs> yeah. On your way I would, to I would take that triple right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I mean, it, exactly. I, I threw, I threw, I think three shots in a row that were beautiful. And I actually, I achieved the one thing that I wanted to practice tonight, but my left shoulder decided that it was not having any of it. And, you know, it's 
it's hard when you go to throw the ball and you don't know how much pain on a scale of one to 10, you're going to feel. It's hard to trust yeah. the shot when that's happening. Yeah. Totally. So that means I have to get off my ass and get back to stretching tomorrow and all that kind of, all that good stuff that was working until I was stupid enough to think that I had been healed and stopped doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Hello, Mike. <laughs> all right. Well, um, that's a great project. And I, like I said, I hope everybody, uh, takes part in it. I think we've let our special guests sit in the back long enough. Um, JB, yeah. you're more than welcome to stick around and ask them questions totally as, we, as we go through here. Awesome. And uh, so we'll bring our special guests in. We'll roll our sponsor for the week. And uh, Greg, if you're ready, we'll be bringing you in shortly. Find my commercial here. All right. As our uh, special guest and the people seen our overlay there as they've been waiting all week for it, um, man of the Ontario Five Pin Hall of Fame, Mr. Greg Pateritis. Hey, Greg. Hey, Hi, Greg. How you doing, guys? Sorry about the Great. technical. Sorry about the technical glitches. You're dealing with an old guy, so I'm not not really savvy with the uh, iPhone and shit like that. So <laughs> that's all right. That's, that's all right. No big deal. Glad we could have you on. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> awesome. Um, obviously, you have quite the extensive uh, resume and being a part of Ontario's um, success in the Masters and the Open and your own successes on the cash tour and stuff. Um, and because this can be a little bit more condensed than we're used to. Um, Don't worry, I can talk fast. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, where would you like to start? How would you like to start this podcast yeah. Um, I can tell you all, first of all, I'm 59 years old and I've been bowling for 55 years now. I started when I was four years old. My parents got me involved in bowling. And as a matter of fact, the, um, the bowling alley that I first started was Plantation Bowl. And at the time, that would have been 1965. It had 56 lanes of five pin, double diamond free fall on two levels. And bowling was 40 cents a game. Wow. <laughs> Holy cow. Yes. Yes, it was... Um, it was quite the thing. And you actually, on Sunday afternoons, I, I can still remember, they, they would hand out numbers for people waiting uh, to open bowl. It was that busy. And unfortunately, that became Bowlerama, and it was just demolished not long ago for condos. It wasn't all five-pin when it was demolished, but right, that's sad, that, though. Yeah, that, that's that's crazy. Couldn't even imagine having a bowling alley that big anymore. I mean, Bonnie Dude's 48 lanes, and that that's crazy to me. Um well, one it, of the places that I, sorry, go ahead. No, one no, of the places you. I used to practice. One of the places I used to practice in Toronto was called Olympia Edward Lanes. It was downtown Toronto, which became the world's biggest bookstore. It had eighty lanes in it at one time, sixteen, sixteen back to back, eight in an annex, and upstairs sixteen, sixteen, and eight in the back. And it was half string and half free fall, and it was an absolutely amazing house. Uh, there was an illegitimate average, I believe it was. I got to think who it was now. A gentleman averaged 292 for a full season. And this is before personalized balls, kickbacks, and then you name it. So it was mm -hmm. a huge house. But I'll, I'll, um, I'll just tell you briefly, um, I didn't really have much of a YBC career. Um, I, I used to go out with my parents, and I started bowling in a league when I was 12, uh, mixed league with my parents. And I only started bowling YBC the last two years of senior. That's all I was able to – I never knew about it until then. So mm -hmm. I only bowled two years of um, uh, YBC seniors. 
And I actually started bowling in a men's league when I was 16, which you weren't supposed to do back then. That was a no-no. You couldn't take money. But right. um, And they didn't really like me that much either because I won the high average both years. I was 16 and 17, and average was 257. So they, <laughs> that didn't go over very well. In there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, so, Greg, let us know um, how – before we get into your career highlights and stuff like that, let us, mm-hmm. how has COVID affected your daily life and how are you getting through it as uh, a lot of our <laughs> guests want to know everybody's well, uh, Mike trial. And, well, Mike and I haven't killed each other yet, although we, I mean, we came close in March because we had to quarantine. We, we came back from Vegas in March just before, just as AHS was announcing restrictions and we, we missed it by one day. Um, we've been both, both fortunate enough. We're both essential workers. I, I work for CIBC. I've been there 40 years, and we're both essential, so I've not missed a day. Uh, neither has Mike. And uh, we actually did have a co- case of COVID uh, two weeks oh. ago, one of my coworkers. Oh, but, wow. yeah, uh, yeah it, was, it, was, it was pretty hairy. But uh, under the AHS guidelines, uh, close contact is defined as being within a uh, cumulative time of 15 minutes, less than six feet, masked or not masked. And we determined that this, we sit six feet apart and we do not have close contact. So we were very lucky that it was just the one person. Right. Yeah. But, that's uh, awesome to hear. Yeah. But daily life, I mean, this is getting to be, I'm, I heard your rant about the, the bowling. I have a real problem with the way the science is going around, where, the way AHS is determining what can open and what cannot open. I mean, we had bowling alleys open prior to this shutdown. We had, what was it, 25% capacity, or I believe, wasn't it, 25? Yeah, yeah, 25%. Yeah, so we were operating every other lane. I'd like somebody to explain to me how is that more unsafe than going on a Calgary transit bus? I haven't been on transit in a a year. Mike won't let me. I take cabs if I have to. Uh, But they've not restricted the seating on buses. They they, Mm -hmm. they got rid of that a few months ago. So Mm -hmm. tell me how that is uh, any more risk. And also the big box stores, when this the pandemic first hit back in March, they were counting people as they were going in. I don't see yeah. anybody counting people now. They don't so count I'm anymore. just, I'm just, I understand the caution that they, you know, they, they want, you know, the, the science is changing all the time. But I just, like I said, I just don't understand sometimes the the, the rationale behind this. Yeah, I think, yeah, and I know, I think money talks. Yeah. <laughs> the only, well, the only thing that. that's good. The right, only thing that's that. good One is the big problems. Sorry, sorry, I'm you not to me, so it's fine. <laughs> I, the only good thing about the mandated shutdown is the the proprietors can access whatever mm-hmm. assistance is available, either uh, you know uh, the wage subsidy, the rent subsidy, whatever. It's if when they open up again and they do the partial thing, that's when it becomes a real headache because now you're opening and you're losing money. Yes. Right. So, right. You're exactly so right, Greg. So, so this whole thing about I, I heard about because I, I, I've been in contact with I I talk to Mark all the time, Mark Miller at Paradise. So mm. this whole thing about this training thing, I mean, I, I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. But the long yeah. and short of it, you, you you try to make the best of it. You know, like I said, I, I'm thank God I'm still working. I'm like I said, you know, I've got you know, five days a week where I can you know go to work, which unfortunately a lot of people don't have that that. Uh, privilege mm-hmm, for sure yeah yeah totally. for sure and jb obviously out in pei it's almost uh normal life out there 
Yeah, uh, we have one huge advantage over the rest of the country, and that is that we can just, you know, pull up the drawbridge, and that's pretty much it. Um, you know, it's really terrible for the people who rely on travel outside of the province for work. I'm sure there are people who commute pretty regularly to Halifax, to Moncton, places like that for meetings or whatever, and, um, you know, it's crushing for them. But otherwise, um, I, we've never had more than, well, we've never had more than 10 cases at the same time. Uh, we've never, uh, every case that we've had has fully recovered. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's kind of funny because, and, you know, uh, forgive me for the one or two Islanders out there who might be listening. Uh, I say this with affection. Um, it's a good thing because we're pretty optimistically careless out here. And, um, you know, people walk around in their lives like nothing bad has ever even happened. And so, yeah, we wear masks everywhere and uh, not everybody takes it seriously and not everybody cares. And it's just as well, because if we really did have an outbreak here, uh, it would be chaos within a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah people really just they, they walk around like nothing bad is ever going to happen here. And, and so we're lucky. Yeah, yeah. We, we get that out here in Alberta and like the rural communities and stuff like that, right? Um, the rural communities don't obviously aren't as affected nearly as, as much. So you get that carefree attitude and mm -hmm. um, not to bring politics into it, but it is a fairly conservative um, province. So the rural communities reflect that and it, it is what it is. Um, we, we obviously aren't the government. We got to do our best to help the restrictions, but we don't want to see our sport fail either. And it's... Uh, Pointed in the wrong direction at this point. For sure. That's a hard part for me too, because you know I, I I've done a lot of travel um, to tournaments. I like I said in the chat, I was I was this close to booking the flight to come out there and spend a couple of weeks with you guys, um, yeah. and then all the plans went out the window. And totally. yeah, I mean it. I've been hit hard too. Um, Lots and lots of money from on-site work in Europe flew out the window uh, yeah. when I didn't go for three months at the end of last yeah. year. Yeah. Um, I just I'm I'm so lucky that I'm in a much better position to absorb that hit. And even the fact that we're not I'm probably not going to have any of that work this year either is yeah. annoying and not devastating. I really wish I could just I mean I would love nothing more than to have hit Lotto Max and to help a lot of the people in the bowling community out of this problem. Totally. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I think we beat COVID over the, over the head <laughs> yeah. over the last uh, 82 so. podcasts here. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, so Greg, we'll, we'll move on. Um, so I'm sure a lot of people know, and this is kind of something I want to hit on, even though it may not be uh, a career stat of yours or anything like that. But you may be the person with the largest collection of bowling balls I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yes, that's that's entirely true. The picture that is up there, there's two racks uh, estimated as excess of 200 balls for sure. That is unreal. And is it is that over a certain time span? Like, did you recently decide to start collecting, or is that no? Kind of I've been, been over collecting. I've been years? collecting. I've been on eBay now. I think uh, 20 years. So uh, my friend uh, John Honeyford was my practice partner in Ontario. Uh, found eBay and we started that's uh, he, he doesn't have as many as I do but that's how that started uh, to try to get balls on eBay um, I also uh, I have a contact in Montreal now 
that I can get soft rolls, which are, um, when they're mm-hmm. used in Montreal, they're nice and smooth because they don't throw hard and there's no, uh, there's no dents <laughs> or uh, divots in them. <laughs> Sure. And, uh, of course, I have all my connections in the duckpin uh, thing because a lot of those balls mm-hmm. you cannot buy up here, um, you know, like prolines or arrows or comets, the old type comets. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are actually quite valuable. Uh, the Manhattan rubbers, the one you may see them in the photo, they're black with white. Uh, they sell for about $150 U.S. a ball. Right. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We we, uh, we actually just purchased, uh, I think all of us, like me, Dexter, and Carrie purchased Manhattans not so long ago. I, I swindled mm-hmm. a, a three-ball set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you we did. We, we, we do. We, we do like them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it's it's interesting. Just as a touch on the bowling balls, um, every every set has different characteristics. For example, the old Manhattan rubbers are a very extremely hard rubber ball. Um, mm-hmm. um, the pro lines are actually a lucite plastic. The majority of the ball is a lucite plastic, so it reacts quite differently on the lane. Uh, arrows, for example, arrows were made by the Hammer Bowling Company. The first, uh, the okay. first uh, urethane ten pin ball that came out was made by Hammer, and they're actually urethane. They're actually a, almost a pure urethane ball in a small mm-hmm. ball, not like the 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 um, the Epco Cyclones. Um, and um, of course, soft rolls. Uh, of course, I've been uh, personal personal. I'm very good friends with my uh, my buddy Steve Phipps in Ontario, and. Um, it's really interesting about soft rolls is every time you get a set, I never know what they're going to be like. They, they're all different. Yeah. Uh, even though there's a targeted thing, there's, there's always a difference in the soft rolls. Some of them are very soft. Some of them are actually much harder. Yeah. I, found, I found when I got the newer ones, sorry, Dexter, when I got the newer ones, they were a little bit harder than one of the original ones I purchased through Steve's. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Even on the catalogs, they have them like graded. There's a, there's a range of hardness. Uh, which is which is interesting, right? I think I think for the missiles, I think it ranges from on the on the sheet like seventy two to seventy six or something on the durometer rating, um, which is yeah, it, it's neat that there's actually just a, a scale rather than a, a definitive number. It's actually an interesting story. F- Steve Phipps, there was a ball refinisher by the name of Lionel Beauparlot in Welland, Ontario. He used to work at the the company General Tire that used to make the old Tiger Stripe and PBS balls. And Lionel was a line inspector, and what he used to do is when a ball uh, didn't meet quite specs, whether it be too much color, not enough color, he'd pull them off and buy them from a dollar from the company and then sell them for 25 And then he started a bowling refinishing thing for bowling balls. And his brother actually made a custom-made lathe to cut bowling balls. Well, Steve um, was a, worked for a chemical company. He was looking for something else to do, and Lionel wanted to sell the business, and Steve bought it. And the whole idea of, of the way soft rolls came about is Steve wanted to duplicate the old Tiger Stripe and PBS balls. Now, as you know, mm. both of the balls are, are very black, right? Um, yep. They use sulfur compounds to harden the rubber. Well, when Steve started the soft roll line, um, he found out that you couldn't use sulfur hardening compounds anymore because of environmental concerns. So he had to use a synthetic hardener. So that's why, for example, even though they're supposed to be targeted, like the PBS Brunswick series, is uh, they all come out at 80 hardness. There has not been one soft roll, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not speaking out of turn here if Steve is listening. Uh, I've never seen a soft roll that hard. The hardest set I've ever had is a 76. That's as hard as I've ever had the, uh, the soft roll up on the durometer scale. And I've got ones that are below 70. So Crazy. Is it- 
is it true the more solid ones are usually softer than the ones with multicolors in them? Um, we've been trying to figure that out. I've asked Steve about that, why the balls come out differently. Uh, one of the things is when you're working with a natural product like rubber, it's very fickle to, to, to work with. And, and because it's natural, sometimes you may get a batch, like you said, for example, the new ones may be a little harder and the older ones might be a little bit softer. Uh, as you know, it's the same thing with, with rubber bands on pins. You know that sometimes when they make a batch of, of bands, they come out perfect and the next batch is absolute crap. And it's right. the same formula. But it's, like I say, it's very, very fickle um, uh, to work with. Um, he also discussed with me that adding, he has to add color, like a color dye yeah. to the rubber. The actual color of the rubber is cream. It's a cream color. That's the natural color of the rubber. So when you see a ball that's got cream in it, that's natural. That's the actual color of the rubber. So in order to make colors, you have to add dyes. And he thinks sometimes when he adds the dye, that it changes the composition of the ball. I can speak from experience, as my vast collection can attest to. <laughs> um, balls that have orange in them seem to be really, really soft. They have that that characteristic. I don't know why. Whereas um, uh, the ones that seem to be a little bit harder, of course, is the more cream that's in the ball, the harder the ball, uh, because the harder ball that it um, seems to come out. Yeah. Cause I, I actually ended up with uh, two solid soft rolls and one I got from Jeff Young, which is a pure orange one. And it's definitely mm -hmm. a lot softer. It, it, you can just feel it in the grip and stuff. And it might be a little bit of a finish. Maybe it's a little bit older or something like that, but just, just physically holding it, you can tell that it's softer and it leaves some marks on the lanes. <laughs> I'm lucky yeah. because I, I get him, I'm, I'm able to get him to make whatever I want. Um, if I ask for a particular color, co like I've got color combinations in there that you guys have never seen before. Nobody's ever done them before. Like I yeah. just, uh, my, my latest set, my latest set is, um, orange, yellow, and cream sidewinder. Yeah. yeah when you send them yeah, to yeah. me, I'm, I'm just amazed by all the different colors you get with them. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, I, yeah, you, they're all unique to you, right? They're all brand new and they're different. They're, they're unique. Yeah, the only thing is, if I get a set of balls and I use them and I don't and, and I don't particularly like them, then I'll put them up for sale. I don't make money on them. I just sell them for whatever the, the cost is, um, um, what I what I paid for them. But there are some that I get. I try them out. and I just don't like them. Like I have a set right now. The the newest thing that's um, available now at uh, Phipps is a Tornado series. It looks mm -hmm. almost like a comet ball. And I've got two of them. They were done as a one off. They're black, uh, black cream and the predominant color is gray but i find that well especially throwing out on overlay uh that the ball is actually too hard i don't like a ball that uh, i'll go into that a little later i'll explain that about overlay and one of my nemesis now in, in in the game but overlay seems to refract energy when you throw a ball out on overlay because it's only three the majority of overlay is only three eighths of an inch thick it refracts energy so when you throw a hard ball out there it makes a sound and it actually does do a little bit of a bounce not a lot but just enough sometimes to take the stuff off the shot that's yeah. why i right now i'm concentrating more on trying to i i call it the uh, the rollout shot when i get really really soft soft rolls i can turn the crap out of the ball and the ball will just float at the pins which is what i want yeah right hmm. makes sense well and that, and that could be a big explanation to why you see a lot of um I wouldn't say older bowlers, but bowlers that played on a lot of wood for a lot of their career go to synthetics and they tell you right out right away. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like the way, way the 
it hits the lane or the way it reacts on the lane stuff like that and obviously that could be a a definite play on it right well the majority of the overlays in on in in canada are, are overlays like true overlays there are very few houses that are synthetic from the from the ground up uh nebs mm-hmm. in oshawa is and always has been uh the bowling alley in banff and there was yeah. one up your way in edmonton millwoods which Frazier. i bowled at long millwoods and fraser too yeah millwoods fraser, fraser, I, fraser bowl i believe was also from the ground up but those yeah. are very those are very expensive to do and obviously overlays cheaper right yeah yeah for sure yeah. Uh, well, I guess that's another thing, Greg. How, you can probably tell our, our, our listeners how many bowling centers you play out of. Ah, wow. That's that's another thing. Uh, I'll tell yeah. you a quick story about that. Yeah. When I was sixteen, when I was sixteen years old, I was always being accused of being a double diamond bowler, uh, double diamond freefall, because that's what we had at the at the time in in the city of Toronto. And they said, "Oh, this guy can only play on double diamond." And I said, "Okay, well, now I got to figure out. Well, you know what?" If I'm going to be better, I've got to figure out how to bowl on every kind of condition there is. So I started this record. I've got the book actually in front of me. It's sitting on my desk as I'm talking. And I started this uh, thing of visiting bowling centers when I was 16 years old. First, of course, the first things, of course, I bowled in all the centers in Toronto. And then I kept going and going and as I made nationals and whatnot. And I just completed uh, when it was open. I went up to the new house in Lloydminster. That was my 711th house that I bowled in five pin. This is just five pin, not duck pin, not 10 pin, not candle. These are strictly five pin houses. So 711 I'm at right now. That's crazy. So I got, I got news for you boys. I've seen everything. There isn't one condition I have not seen yet. Not one. (laughs) Yeah, totally fair. So, so tell us what is the worst condition you've ever seen? (laughs) Good story about that too. Yeah. Yeah. If John Greenlee's listening, he'll back me up on this one. We bowled the open one time at a bowling center in, um, oh, I'll say in Ontario, Durham. I won't say that. It's no longer there. It was demolished for a parking lot. 12-lane center, wood lane string. I don't know if you've ever uh, heard of Guardian, the Guardian lane system. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was designed, it's a polymer film that's about three millimeters thick and was designed to be put down over the lane as a protection to 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 lengthen the um, the time before you had to replace the wood or refinish. Now, it was only mm-hmm. supposed to be on temporary. This particular house put it down all 60 feet of the lane, and they left it there for like 10, 12 years. Now, the best way I could describe it is putting a piece of scotch tape on a piece of paper and then taking a pen and then going <laughs> over and over in the same spot. And guess what happens? It gets grooved. Yeah. Well, these lanes, these lanes were so bad that you could actually make a ball double break. You could make it back up and hook at the same time on the same pair, on the same lane. So we rolled 10 games of the open in that house. <laughs> oh yeah. I shot the best. I shot the best 2,450 you have ever seen played. And the guys that bowled with me will, will attest to this. It was, it was just an absolute, uh, Dave Slappendell is a, 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 a great bowler out of Durham. He's a 260 average. He rolled 1994 for 10 games it was that bad <laughs> it was just it was just i think i shot on the uh, well, i was on one and two uh, twice which was the worst pair in the house and i think i rolled 440 for two and i think i gained 50 or 60 pins on the field oh. it was just <laughs> it, it this is beyond grinding it out and 
I'm telling you, I never heard the F word so much, especially from the women. <laughs> it, was, it was that was probably one of the worst in in, in a tournament play. Now I've played in a, mm-hmm. in a lot of places in my travels that I've seen that are like, yeah, okay, man. Like but one place I can remember was a two laner up. By, uh, where the hell was it? In Saskatchewan, they put two lanes in a community center, and. Uh, they didn't put the, they, of course, they bring the lanes in sections and the sections weren't joined properly. So the ball would hop halfway down the lane, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. That's, I wonder what, uh, what the bowlers now that are averaging 270 and stuff play in a house like that, what they would, uh, be saying and stuff they would destroy outside in the parking lot. Yeah. Well, that's as the people who bowled in Brampton whenever it was last year, and and this, I think the scores across the board were down twenty five or thirty for everybody. It was a graveyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've not been I, actually. I've not been back to Ontario since I've moved out here. But I remember a Brampton Bowl actually changed from free fall to string a few years back, and also the owner retired and sold. Um, they were trying to make a quick buck. Actually, they were going to probably tear down the bowling center for condos but the city didn't let them. I don't know why you want a condo because there's a cemetery across the street. So I never figured that one out, but uh, Brampton Bowl <laughs> actually was a very good scoring it. house. It, it was, um, it was always lightning fast, but it was always a very good free fall house. Yeah. Hmm. That was where I played my teens. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we might as well move on to your, uh, your career in the, let's start with the open. Lead us or, through your can, but but before we get into that, maybe maybe this might lead in a little bit. Um, when you when you were a kid, did who was your coach? Who coached you when you were growing up? And um, I, I I'm sure pretty much everybody listening knows this, but you're one of the few people that are right-handed that bowls off the right foot. Um, how that all came about, and um, yeah, I, I mean, sure. I, I personally, um, this is uh. I hate it, and I'm sure you've heard this lots, but I hate it when people say that that's bowling off the wrong foot because there's definitely major merit to yeah, it. I and have, uh, I, have, I have I have a good comeback for that. When people say yeah, you bowl oh, off the wrong foot, when the people say you bowl off the wrong foot, I say I've been bowling for 55 years and nobody's proved me wrong yet. Absolutely, yeah, no, exactly. You, you, you. Um, that's exactly it. Uh, so, yeah, um, let's just go through who coached you and and how did you get to that point and um, um, what challenges has that given you? Um, for the most part, I'm basically a self-taught bowler. Um, I like to watch people bowl and then try to emulate them and, and mm-hmm. take what, what good parts that I can see, uh, from, from their games. Um, I had a few coaches, you know, there were a couple of coaches in YBC. They didn't really, they didn't try to convert me to bowling off the left foot. Um, I, I, I can't really pinpoint anybody that really, uh, my dad used to help me, but one of the things is I look at the game very differently than anybody else. So when people are trying to coach me and I ask them something, especially Mike, <laughs> and I can't get, and I don't get the right answer, I get really pissed. So I have a, a unique way of what I'm trying to do on the lanes. And there was only one coach that I can remember that ever really got what I did. Cause he used to do it himself was a gentleman by the name of John Woolock uh, out of um, uh, Hamilton zone in Ontario. And he coached the, um, the men's tournament masters the year that we went to Mount Pearl in Newfoundland. And he understood what I was trying to do. And he was probably the only, my buddy, John Honeyford is another one who, who knows what I'm trying to 
do on the lanes. Um, like I said, sometimes it's very hard to explain to somebody. So, you know, I have a really interesting, I got another little story about talking about bowling off the opposite foot. Yeah. I used to go up to a place in Toronto called Glen Valley Bowl. And there was an old time uh, money bowler there by the name of Herb Sutcliffe. He's long passed away now. And uh, I went in there and he was instructing me. And one of the things he told me is, of course, I had to slow the ball down. And one day we went in there and he says, well, can you bowl off the left foot? And I said, I can try if you want. I said, I never done it before. So I threw and one game I shot 410. And he never forgave me for that. <laughs> that's a true that is actually that's a true story. That's a true story. So, so is that the only game you've ever bowled off your left foot then? Uh no, actually when um when I uh when we were going uh, a couple times when we've gone down to Vegas, um I would go and bowl ten pin. There's a, a midnight special at the South Point, twelve to six, ninety-nine cents a game. In order not to screw my five pin up, I will bowl ten pin now off my left foot. I don't slide. I just yeah, step I, like a like a Michael Hogan uh, Jr. Uh, I used to bowl ten pin when I was about mm, about eighteen nineteen. I bowled ten pin for a couple of years off the opposite foot. But one of the things is the deliveries are so different in ten pin and five pin that mm -hmm. if you bowl both, you uh, I always felt that you would um, you would get good to a certain point in both games, and then you'd had to make a decision one way or the other. And um, and I chose five pin. Mm -hmm. So, so basically, what I'm hearing is you have a 410 average bowling off the left foot. <laughs> <laughs> Did you yeah, make the I right choice, that... Greg? <laughs> well, I think so. I'm in the Hall of Fame, so <laughs> yeah, I'm just busting your balls. Uh, so, I, I guess for any anybody who bowls off the wrong foot, would you have any or no, the wrong? I, I... <laughs> off, off, uh, if bold, uh, bocce, would you have any advice yes. for them? Um, yeah, one of the things the advantages and disadvantages of bowling bocce style is more, more than likely you cannot cross your arm in front of your body when you bowl bocce style. That's number one, it's an advantage. Number two, it's very hard sometimes to uh, develop turn on the ball. You really have to work it. I know I can, I can work the ball from both sides of the lane. Either way, hook or back up, it doesn't matter. I go back and forth all the time. In fact, my practice sessions when I'm able to bowl, uh, I, I actually play uh, when I'm at Paradise. I will play. They put me on the pro score, and I'm on two lanes, and I bowl one game against myself. And I bowl with one set of balls, one lane, and one line. And the other set, I bowl a different set of balls in a different line. Hmm. So that's... Yeah. Like and that. I'm still, by the way, just as an, an add-on, I'm still throwing between 50 and 100 games a week at 59 years old. Oh, my God. Good I don't you. think you guys want to bowl in a... I don't think you guys want to practice with me. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yeah. You're totally wrong there. I want to practice with you. <laughs> I've been out to did PEI. It once I, I would love to have the chance to do it again. Oh, yeah. thank you. I've only... I've been out to PEI... Um, only once. I actually was on one of my uh, bowling trips, and I was able to get to all the centers on the island that were there at the time, including one that that I got into that, that was another good story, too. Um, there's a little town. I can't think. It has a massive cathedral in it, and the bowling alley was in the parish center, and we w went there, and it was closed, but the door was open. They were doing some work on the game, on, on the lanes, because there were uh, some saws and stuff. And I said to Mike, I says, well, you, you stand outside. And I says, I'll, I'll bowl a game in five minutes. So I turned on the lane because it was strings. I bowled the game in five minutes and left $5 on the counter and left. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's actually awesome. I love it. Um, 
obviously there's there's quite a few uh really decent bocce players out there still like um matt um from ontario won c5 not that long ago Madness, right yeah yeah like, there's uh a few out there i know uh I know a matt. really close friend a close friend of tim's is a bocce player huh? <laughs> yeah. huh, Tim? Huh? my girlfriend cindy yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Was, I was figuring that's why you're asking him all these questions to get some insight for cindy but yeah, she she's well, always wondering to know how to get better on things, right? So she just uh, you know she, what? Yeah, she, yeah. Send me send me a videotape, uh, just to give me a ten minute practice session. Just let me see what uh, or what uh, how she plays, and then maybe okay. I can give you some suggestions. That's how I'm doing my coaching yeah. now, of course. Okay. Uh, with COVID, is uh, if anybody wants it, send me a video, and I'll I'll have a look. All right. So okay. here, that's Cindy. He, she's he's more than willing to help you uh, out. I played a little bit. Re- Sorry, right, we have three kids here. Um, two are two have graduated YBC. One is still in YBC, who all are right-handed and bowl on the right foot. Um, one of them, the one who's still in YBC, um, pretty much lost the ball from his knee. But the other two, her brother and sister, and they have the deep knee bend, um, like a deep waist bend, like like I've seen with you. Um, and I'm curious how. Um, I don't. Know, maybe it's hard for you to compare, but. It seems like that deep knee or waistband when sliding on your right foot is hard um, compared to, like it seems more natural when it's the opposite foot. What's your experience like with that? Um, I, I, well, having done it uh, the same way all my life, yeah, I, yeah. you know, it really, it, it doesn't feel foreign to me. Uh, the only thing is though, it, it, I think it may, well, for, at least in my point of view, from my uh, physical perspective, uh, I'm I'm having a little bit of issues with my hip and my lower back. But uh, one of the things I've had to do is change back to four steps. I've always done. I did three for forty years, and I've gone back to four, just for the simple reason is I can I I can generate more speed with four steps without having to force the ball, without having to heave it down there. So it's a lot easier on my arm and my shoulder. But um, yeah, so okay. I've uh, I've played very limited games off the uh, off the right foot, but it is it is it's something you know. I I feel like everybody's got to have something in their in their back pocket in case something happens, and you never know. I I, I played ball for the first time uh, in a long time three years ago, and first game I absolutely destroyed my ankle to the point where I couldn't walk for three days after I was on crutches, and of course it was uh-huh. right before the Red Deer Heritage Traditional, and I'm stubborn. So I went down and I was like, okay, hey, I'm going to bowl. And I use crutches to get in and I wrap up my left ankle and okay, let's throw some games. And I ended up throwing, uh, I think I shot about 1800, but I bowled half my games, uh, half my game on my left foot and half my games on the right foot. And I would switch in, in between like partway through the games and like the greatest compliment ever when Bruce Mortar comes out to watch and he looks at you and he goes, that's an adjustment I can't make. <laughs> Makes you feel pretty good. <laughs> and I That's beat Evan Lacusi in that qualifying shift, so I was quite happy. <laughs> yeah. Alan Clark had a fun experience like that uh, a few years ago. Uh, in between the two provincial open qualifiers, he uh, I think he broke his ankle uh, falling on the ice, and so uh, he he was in first after the first ten games. And he was literally on crutches. So I happened to bowl on the lane with him. And it was literally either Valerie or I would go up there when it was his turn. We would stand at the ball at the ball rack 
hand him balls. He would just put one crutch down, lean on the other, and throw balls. And he just kept going until he was mathematically eliminated. And he made it all the way through the 19th game before okay. he fell out of 10th place and gave up. Yeah, that was, I, that think, was I, think, I think he might have shot 450 for the first three games. Like he, he really dug himself a hole. Yeah. Um, that, that, sorry, you said that it was Alan Clark? Yeah, Alan yeah. Clark, yeah. Wow, he must have been getting like Russian drugs or something <laughs> coming in to like help him out or something. Good for him. That's, no, he, that's... Just, he just leaned on the crutch. He had, you know, the cast on. He just leaned on the crutch. He leaned over and tried to <laughs> heave the ball out. And uh, he actually kind of got the hang of it. I think he might, I think for the last few games, he might have averaged something like 190. He kind of got that's the hang awesome. of throwing with no steps. Kudos that's to him. Um, yeah. So we do have a question here. Um, I'm sure. going to ask because she, uh, she wants me to ask her. Um, Greg, do you slide? Uh, because apparently Cindy doesn't slide at all, she says. Uh, my slide would be considered uh, shorter than a what a – it's not a plant, but it would be a very short slide as compared to, um, say, a left uh, – that's just the way I've always learned how to, to play. Um, yeah. She plants. That's interesting. That's 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 tough on the body, and it's also very tough to maintain good timing. Yeah. Well, she has her own body issues, so maybe that's something she needs to work on. So <laughs> yep. that, that that's that's on the to do list. You you heard it yep. here, Cindy. Yeah. Um, so well, rest in peace, Tim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's let's move on while I get myself a deeper hole. Um, Let's, let's maybe talk about Greg's accolades a little bit. I know uh, yeah. we were talking about a little bit earlier. Um, obviously, he's a Hall of Fame member. Uh, in 2017, he was inducted into the 05 Hall of Fame. Um, the real neat stat that he has back in, I believe, in 2000, uh, the Ontario Five published the top 90 bowlers of all time, and he was ranked third, only behind Fraser Hamley and Ian Cameron. So, um, That's right. If you want to maybe discuss a little bit about how, how that kind of went about and and how that felt. And uh, I, I know you have eight provincial wins. I know you won a nationals. I believe it was in 89, I believe, right on the team with Mike. In the open. In the open, yes. Yeah, uh, It's a great um, – first of all, I, I was very humbled that I was included in, in that list, of course, with uh, Fraser Hamley, which – uh, my late friend, uh, I, I knew Fraser for almost 40 years. I think, in my opinion, overall, for longevity, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's an equal to Fraser. And I know, yeah. and, and it's no disrespect. I mean, I'm an Easterner, so I, I got a chance to see. I got to bowl against him, and I bowled with him. And so maybe I'm a little bit biased. Uh, and of course, Ian Cameron um, was a, a phenom in the, um, uh, in the Ontario Masters. Um, and he made it uh, quite a thing. So to, to be included with those guys is like, yeah, that's 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 pretty good. You're, you're doing all right when you're when you're included with the, those uh, those fellas. Absolutely. Um, um, the open, yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to make it uh, 24, 24 times in about well, I guess it was what twenty eight or twenty nine years in three different zones. I won uh, six men's teams uh, of the. Six, four of them were two of them back-to-back, which was really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, the 89 men's team, that's, that's a good story, too. Uh, we were, flew out to, was in Red Deer at the old Riverside. And uh, mm-hmm. when we checked into the hotel, um, the, we learned later that the hotel clerk had a grudge against Ontario 
and he booked the Ontario team in the basement of the uh, what's the hotel? Uh, it's not the name of what it was before the, the that one with the tower in Red Deer. I can't think of the name of it right now. Sheraton, the Sheraton. It's a Sheridan now. It wasn't before. It's got that comedy club or something. Anyways, yeah. the, we walk into the room and uh, there's a bathtub, but there's no shower. Now I've stayed <laughs> in a lot of hotels in my time, but there was and we're, we were furious. We were at power. Just, anyways, long story short, we we start off. Um, we go thirteen and zero. First thirteen games, we don't lose. Wow. As it turns out, we ended up um, we ended up bowling. Um, Alberta for the gold medal. And this was just the single game, not the, the double that it is now. And we were losing. This was the Calgary team. Don Sim, if you're listening out there, Don, I reminded you about this story about, um, about two, two, three months ago when I saw you last. Uh, Don Sim was on that team, Colin Keir. And I can't remember. That's the two that, that come to mind. We were losing the game. We were getting beat. We were, it looked like we were going to lose seven to one. Anyways, Mike was bowling fourth. I was anchor. Mike goes up and punches his third head pin in a row. And the coach was going to pull him. Um, a friend of mine, Frank Hutz, who's no longer with us, uh, good, good guy. Uh, and I said, Frank, don't pull Mike. So Mike goes up. And my, at that time, Mike was throwing a banana backup ball, throws for the left 3-2. The three pin rolls across the deck and splits the other 3-2 for a head pin spare on strings. The guy who was up next on the Alberta team was throwing a corner and pitched the ball in the gutter two feet out on the lane. And the game flipped. We won 7-1 and we won gold. That's, so wow. that that eighty nine team, I actually have it up here. Uh, for the Calgary mm-hmm. team was Don Sim, uh, Terry uh, Farcarson, uh, Roy Cunningham. That's the guy. That's... Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Colin Cure, Doug Goodman, Brian Rossetti. Um, I was just t- was I was talking. Team. I was talking to Rossetti. He said that was probably the best team he's ever played on, and he said the Ontario guys uh, beat us that year. Um, yes. Not even like. Yeah, crazy. And and the nice part was that Mike ended up um, throwing almost 900. He threw 950 his last three to get, grab the top spot. And they did the the um, the CBC was covering the uh, the singles event live that year. And uh, Mike starts off on seven in a row, and the guy he was bowling against, Bob Greider from Manitoba, started on five in a row. One of the best matches of I've well actually I didn't see any I didn't see Mike throw one ball. I was too goddamn nervous. I couldn't even watch. But uh, <laughs> um, but he ended up winning the gold medal. I mean, double gold medal doesn't happen very often from uh, from 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 our perspective in Ontario. I mean, it no. was right. Um, the six wins. You got to remember one of the things I wanted to. And this is no disrespect to the West. I mean, you guys have a smaller population base. You have five zones here in Alberta, Saskatchewan. I believe has four. And, um, we had twenty four zones. Mm-hmm. We had 24 zones in the open, 24 men's teams, 24 ladies' teams, 24 mixed teams, and 72 singles players. Men's, 72 women, 72 men, three from each zone. We used to bowl a 48-lane house, Sherwood. You'd come in there, and all 48 lanes were going at the same time. So you had a 1-in-24 chance to, to, to win, and it was, it was really, really tough to, to come out of Ontario uh, in yeah. the open. It was incredibly tough, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. One of the reasons that we left Toronto was I was thinking about getting back into competitive bowling, and I knew that I was not gonna have a path to making it to anywhere good. Still living in Toronto or Brampton or any place like that, and that was, you know, that and the you know ridiculous cost of houses was one of the reasons why we why we left and, and looked for cheaper places to live. 
I like I like how you led with uh, my bowling career wasn't going to go anywhere in there at first before the housing costs. <laughs> I, I, why do you think we Why do you think we chose PEI after we decided to leave Manitoba? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Greg, so in that format, how many times did you play each team? Just once, or was it a pool format? Um, how you would, that work? When we had the twenty four zones, there were um, four groups of six. You would bowl every team twice, which would be 10 games. And then the winner from each group would then go into a double round robin. Right. Six games. So, yeah, I, I, I understand that you had to beat 24 other teams, but essentially you only had to actually beat 10, right? You're, you're playing six in your pool and then you're yes. playing another, yeah. right? Yeah, definitely. Obviously, the, the depth of the fields is going to be quite a bit different too, right? Um, oh, your sure. your team teams for are sure. going to come from different zones and stuff like that. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I I would love to play in uh, an event that large. Right? That mm -hmm. is that's insane. Well, I can honestly tell you, the first time I won in '87, and um, we went to the nationals was in Winnipeg. And this is this is a this is another good story. Bowling at Academy <laughs> Uptown, Winnipeg mm -hmm. has a heat wave. It's 95 degrees at the end of April, and Academy has no air conditioning, and we're wearing polyester. Oh, that was good. Yep. <laughs> but uh, uh, but was, was we, that the old saw, movie theater story? Yeah. Yes, yeah. It, which is now um, they kicked them out and they they moved uh, they moved the lanes. Um, right. Yeah, they're uptown now. One of the things was that uh, when I first saw the open, you know, after after being at the provincial with you know with that kind of like the electricity with forty eight lanes going, uh, my friends that are listening in Ontario right now. Uh, John, all you guys, you all know what it was like. You walked into the building. It was absolutely electric. And then you go to the Nationals, like I said, in 87, and like, this is kind of a letdown. <laughs> you know, it just, we're used to, we had that for so many years, um, that that kind of um, um, uh, charge in the building. It's just, it's it, it's hard to describe. It really is, unless you've, uh, mm -hmm. unless you've experienced it. When I was in the open and PEI for the first time, I couldn't believe there was no noise. Like, I remember what it was like. Just, like, uh, Four Steps Regionals or Youth Challenge Provincials in the 90s in Ontario, and it was just a nonstop wall of noise. And then I came here, and, you know, there's some chatter. But there's no cheering. Nobody's that happy. It just, yeah, it really is a world yeah. difference. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, it's almost... Sorry, it's 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 almost like it's it's a bigger thing coming out of Ontario than winning the national championship a little bit, right? Sometimes it's a bigger feat. It, it was, and you know, the twenty four zones that we had, there were many of them that were competitive. There wasn't, um, we didn't have the domination, like for example, here, you know, with the five zones. Basically, it's now competitive wise, it's it's usually Edmonton, Calgary, or Red Deer. I know the North and the South have one, but they have not won for a long time. Uh, mm -hmm. With our 24 zones, um, in that format with the groups and then the double round robin, um, you never knew who was going to win. There were, there were always obviously the favorites, but um, there was never necessarily a dominant team, per se. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Yeah. I got a uh, uh, segue into the open. Uh, it's one of my <laughs> Fraser Hamley stories, which I'll, I'll put in here now. For sure, yeah. Um, we were bowling... Um, uh, was Mike on the team? Uh, and I was, I, Fraser always liked to play leadoff. Mike was fourth and I was anchor. 
in the last game we were playing, um, we were in Toronto at that time. We were playing York West. And just before, uh, we had to put the lineup down first. And just before the, the, um, the deadline for that, Fraser says, I want a team meeting. And we're like, what the hell? What do you want a team meeting for? And he, he t- turns to us, and the coach was a good friend of mine too, Scott. And he says to us, listen, why don't we flip? Greg, you go on top. I'll go on the bottom. And we said, oh, yeah, sure. But, but why? He said, well, the last time I bowled the guy in the bottom, who was Steve Konopelke, is another good friend of mine, I bowled 400 against him. I said, okay, fine. So anyways, we start the game, and we're going along. And, and my game was really close. Uh, Mike pulled ahead a little bit. Now, Fraser starts off on first throws the first one, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. By this, he throws seven in a row. By this time, the game is over. We've got the totals. There's no way we're going to lose. Fraser goes up, eight, nine, gets the first one in the tenth, gets the 11th one. Now, I'll set this up for you. He's standing on the approach, ready to go for the 12th one. He stops team meeting. I'm not kidding you. I'm not shitting you on this. Team meeting. So he comes back and he says, listen, if I throw this 12th shot, the, the, the prize was, um, I think the 05 was offering a trip to Florida. And he says, how are we going to split this six way or seven ways? <laughs> I love it. And we're like, I'm standing there like, are you fucking kidding me? You're on 11 in a row and you want a, you want a team meeting? Holy shit. Of course, he goes up and pitches wide for 440. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. I mean, Hollywood couldn't do it any better. I mean, yeah. just, and uh, um, another time we were on, um, and Johnny, John Honeyford, if he's listening, will back me up on yeah. this. We're on 35 and 36. It's Sherwood, and we're playing um, Ontario Durham. And Fraser, Fraser's playing Chuck Park, another great bowler, Hall of Famer. Anyways, Fraser goes up, throws the ball. The ball hasn't hit the arrows, and Fraser turns around as he's walking off the approach. Ball hasn't hit the arrows yet. And I leaned over to him, and I said, Fraser, why did you just do that? I said, because he would never – he was the type of person that would never – do that kind of stuff. And I said, he says, oh, I knew it was a good ball. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I love it. Say, you can't make this stuff. You can't make this stuff up. Well, I mean, he shoots 410 at the guy the first time, shoots 440 the second time. That's a good strategy missing. That means there's room for improvement next time. Ah, true, true. <laughs> that guy's a little scared next time. Yeah, he's like, next time he's got, he's got to throw the perfect game against him. I love it. He oh, was he was a, he was an absolutely amazing uh, bowler, but he was also um, an amazing human being when it came to being off the lanes. The way he conducted himself, I wish I could be that type of person. I'm not. I'm not that type of personality. Uh, but he was. He was that. He was that type of personality. Got another one for you. There's another Fraser story. <laughs> Three weeks. We used to bowl the city majors league in Toronto. It was a traveling league, and we bowl anywhere between six and ten houses every year. Three weeks to go in the season. Fraser's ahead of me in high average by six pins. So the one week I had to, and this was a, we bowled the fill system. It was a six, uh, we had seven, then went six, you know, uh, same as the open. Uh, You bowl frames and you can make one substitution. You used to be able to make two. Anyways, um, three weeks to go. Fraser doesn't want to, he's trying to protect his average. Anyways, we're bowling at Ace Bowl in Scarborough. And I had to go bowl a Master Bantam tournament. So I couldn't be there for the first two and a half games. 
So I told my teammates, I'll be back. Uh, I'll take a cab. And it says, I'll be back for two and a half games. So I come back for two and a half games <laughs> and I averaged 309. Okay. Next second to last week, we're at Olympic Westway. Now, Fraser always bowled with uh, one of his, uh, another Hall of Famer, a gentleman by the name of Holly Neat. Great player in his day. A wicked sense of humor. But unfortunately, Fray, uh, Holly liked to tip a little too much. Anyways, <laughs> Fraser doesn't want to bowl at Olympic. It's a really tough double diamond house, and Fraser wants to protect his average. Well, the start of the game, Holly is laying prostate on the bench, passed out on lane 12. And Fraser's trying to get him to bowl. He says, Fraser, he says, Holly, I don't care if you have to kick the goddamn ball down the lane. Just bowl. Right? <laughs> Holly's three sheets to the win. He's done for the day. So Fraser ends up bowling. It was a five-game league. He shoots, uh, I think it was 13-20, 13-25. I roll 14 and a half for five. Okay, so I'm catching up. Last week of this series, we're bowling at April Lanes. Uh, Johnny, uh, John Honeyford will remember this one. Um, 24 lane double diamond house, dry as a bone. It was one of my, one of my favorite places to play. I roll 15, 57 for five games and take the high average away from Fraser. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, well, that's awesome. So that average protecting thing happens out in Ontario too. Eh? <clears throat> Adam Weber. Pretty <laughs> tough line. <laughs> Matt Schultz. Uh, Matt Schultz. You know, I don't have the stat in front of me. I can't remember how many times he won the high average in that league. I, I did. And, you know, the, to me, that's the, to me, but traveling league, um, the Metro, of course, it's no longer there. And of course, they always bowled Saturday afternoons, which nowadays is, this is prime time for bowling centers for birthday parties and stuff. So the mm -hmm. league would have gone anyways at one point. Uh, but to bowl in that, that type of, um, to bowl six, like I think one year was six houses to, and every week you go in, you don't know what you're getting and to, to, to maintain a, a really good average in that league is really, really tough. I think it is. I think that's the truest test of bowling. I mean, when you yeah, go yeah. to, if you're playing in a, if you're playing in a house like Sherwood or you're playing the Toppler paradise or Bonnie Dune, you know what the lane, if you're playing the same league every week, the lanes basically don't normally change. If they do their oiling and if they're any kind of a house, they do it the same way every single week. So you basically yeah. know what you're getting into, right? Whereas right. you go to a traveling, we, we never knew what we were going to going to have when we walked into these places. Yeah, totally why, agree. Why I love the masters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's, Absolutely. let's transition into the masters. Um, sure. Lead, lead us through Great that. Great segue, you know, Gary. Uh, I played 18 years in the tournament division. Um, I qualified 12 times out of the 18 um, and eight of them in a row, which is an Ontario record. Now I'll set this up. This is another thing that's different or was different in the masters in Ontario. When, when I was playing, we had a 64 game aggregate tournament score, no drops. You bowled five tens. And the last tournament was a 14. So 64 games every year. When you bowl 64 games, you cannot get lucky and make the team. It's not, it never happened. Trust me on this one. It never happened. So Ontario always sent that year. We're always the best players, the, the five best players that year in the province. Yeah. And, um, and, and I have eight wins in the Masters, but that's another thing. Our Masters tournaments were like mini cash tournaments. Like you guys bowl eight games, and then it's top pinfall wins the tournament. 
we had single game knockout. We had double game, uh, double uh, knockout. Uh, we had pins game. Uh, they did uh, mixed triples with the women, double knockout. So winning at Masters Tournament in Ontario was like winning at one of the cash tournaments out here. It was that that type of format. We didn't have very many that were just strictly stepladder. I think there was there was always one in that that sixty four game. One of the ten games was a stepladder, and a couple of the optional ones were. But um, it was really tough to 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 win a Masters tournament, and I'm I'm. I'm proud to say that I won eight. I'm, you know, I didn't win as many as some some of the other guys. I mean, there was a few that got away, but you know, and um, and I'm, my average two sixty three point seventy nine. I'm very proud of as well. It's um, maintain that kind of average. It was uh, over. Uh, I got to think now. How many games it was? Eleven hundred and seventy eight <laughs> games. I think it was. That's I've got crazy it amount. In my book. Yeah, that's, it is. That's a- a thousand over a thousand games in a, in a master's career is absolutely crazy. That's cool. There's guys that have got more than I do. If you, if you go on the master's website, MBO dot, I think it's MBO.ca, uh, you'll see the stats. The stats are all there and there are guys that have got more games than I do. Well, I'm, I'm thinking a thousand divided by 48 out here. That'd be 20 years at least for us out here. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Tim's average is definitely above 263, but he only throws at Masters, so that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. the one thing, I mean, the one thing, I mean, to, to have the drop, okay, if you're consistent, yeah. I always, and, and I'll, I'll segue into this, if you bowl 260 for six tournaments, you're screwed. If you average 260 yeah. for six tournaments, you're screwed. Yeah. Because yeah. what ends up happening is somebody shoots a 29 and a 22 and then shoots 260, you lose 400 pins. Right then yeah. and there. So I always yeah. thought um, the only thing, of course, with the 64 games mandatory is that um, if somebody unfortunately had to miss for whatever reason, illness, family matters, whatever, um, it was unfortunate that you were disqualified. You couldn't go to the Nationals that year. That's the only thing that was was bad about it. I understand the thing about the drop because it's a travel thing, too, in Alberta. And same as BC. BC does the same thing. Uh, and their mm-hmm. travel is even more yeah. uh, extreme than Alberta. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I think that's the that's the main point is the the travel for some people. Um, but it's kind of weird that way. The people that make the commitment to the Masters, and that go to mm-hmm. all six are usually the ones that travel the farthest. It's the ones that actually have access to the tournaments that will play four out of six or whatever. It's kind of weird that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. You never gotta, see Bonnie gotta, miss a tournament. Yeah. You'll see Bonnie miss a game, but you won't see her miss a tournament. That's right. That's I've, got a, I've, got a little, I've got a little trivia thing for you. This happened in a Masters tournament. I'm thinking this is going back about 35 years. You're on a double. You count 30, 15, 0. You keep every ball on the lane, and you don't foul. What happened? Between the pins, three shots? Nope. Even better. This happened to uh, a oh. lady bowler uh, by the name of a very, very good bowler uh, by the name of Margie Bratkin. It was at Queensway Bowl in Toronto, which was one of the best double diamond houses there ever was. She punched a head pin downstairs. I think it was on lane uh, lane seven. I think it was punched a head pin. The head pin came off the curtain at the back and stood behind the three in the deuce. And then she threw two balls through the hole. Wow. But not between <laughs> the pins, but not between the pins. Right. Which is kind of cool when you think about it. <laughs> Oh, oh. Daryl would have loved that one for scoring competition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I was a, thinking about did, a, did you go gutter gutter strike foul? Like, <laughs> like there's, there's only so never, many ways. Never, never seen it. Never seen it. Uh, never seen it since. Although uh, we did see one, uh, the gentleman I mentioned, the coach John Willock, when Sherwood was free fall, uh, he started on the first eleven strikes in a row. He was on the other side of the house. I was on. I, I could hear that. You know that the crowd was cheering, and he goes up and throws the last shot, and everybody goes, "Yeah." Oh no! Flip the three pin up on the corner pin position. Four forty eight. Oh, oh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've seen, lots, the, I've seen lots. I've seen lots of sliders, but nothing for on a perfect game. That's crazy. In, yeah. in, in 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 on free fall machines, especially double diamond machines, that was, I wouldn't say common, but it was a shot if that that would happen from from time to time. You'd flip a three pin back up and in, into the into the deuce position. Yeah. Crazy. Hmm. <laughs> so, um, obviously, you have four national championships. Um, four goals go in the Masters. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go over any of those uh, those teams? No, the the four the, the uh, in in the Masters. Well, I made it twelve yeah. times. I made a medal every year, and there were uh, four goals <laughs> in the team, and right. uh, one gold in the singles. Oh, that's awesome! Good for you. Was there was there any year that stood out, or any some good stories from any of those years? What was there a favorite team that you had? Oh, I played with I played with a, a, a lot of great teams. I can remember uh, one that we were on. Like I think now, if it was nineteen eighty five or yeah, it would have been eighty eighty five. No, ninety one. I think we were Polo Park, and at all the twenty games, all of them went to the tenth frame. It was never decided. Oh, wow. we, it was never. We never ran. Neither. Yeah, it was always decided in the tenth frame. It was. Um, um, that was pretty special. The win of the singles was was. It was interesting too because it was being held at Nebs and nobody at that time. That would have been nineteen ninety four. Nobody had bowled on synthetic, as a rule. Mm. There weren't very many synthetic houses at the time, and people actually fell during the nationals at Nebs because they weren't used to the, the, the synthetic approaches. And I think that was that may have been one of the strongest fields that I can remember that was in the men's tournament division singles. It was myself. Um, there was Wayne Davies from BC, uh, Bruce. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can't. Uh, Tom uh, from Saskatchewan. Uh, Doug Wood from Manitoba. Holy and crap. I'll be damned if I can remember the... Um, the two guys from Northern Ontario and Quebec, but it was actually, it was, um, it was a really, really strong field. I ended up bowling Tom and in, in, in the, uh, in, in the finals. Hmm. Oh, but that's Amazing. an interesting, actually it was funny. They, they tied three spots for two positions to determine the, the you know, the, the, the thing, the last two positions, there was a tie for th the three of us. And they were going to hold the roll off the next day. And I went up to the tournament director and I said, listen, Henry, I said, I got to go back to work. I told, I said, if I, I told him if I didn't qualify, I got to go back to work. What are you going to wait a day? Hold the bloody tiebreaker now. Right. <laughs> I got my wish. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. To, uh, no, but it was silly. I mean, why, why, why wait? Just do it now. I mean, we have the lanes, yeah. we, we, you know, so it wasn't going to take more than 10, 12 minutes. You said, do it now. <clears throat> said, well, everybody's, you know, Everybody's already warmed up. Uh, are you going to start again tomorrow? But that was, yeah. and it was really interesting. That that was really a neat thing because I was living. Uh, we were living with my dad 
uh, 15-minute walk from Neb's. So I would go and practice. I would walk from my dad's house down to Neb's and back and practice. That's and I, Every time I walked down there, I'd be dreaming about, oh, this would be really great if I could win the singles tournament this time. And I was, I was fortunate enough to win once. The other time I lost to Tom, actually, was at Polo Park in 91. I lost to Tom. Hmm. Stevenson, sorry. Right. Hmm. That's crazy. Um, so we'll move on to something that's near and dear to my heart, the WCBT kind of cash tournament area. Um, you mm -hmm. obviously on your listing, you've won the Manitoba open championship, uh, twice the KG open, right. um, which, uh, maybe some of our younger viewers wouldn't know about. It was a tournament held in Saskatoon at the KG, unfortunately, no longer with us. You won that and the invitational, which, uh, TPC currently runs that type of event as well. That's and, right. uh, you won back to back TSN championships. That's amazing. Yes, I did. <laughs> that is uh, pretty uh, unbelievable, especially TSN. It was as little as I know about it, because I only got to play in it a couple of years, to qualify out of your zone or your, your part of the province and then go and compete in that condition. Um, from what I understand, you, you sat the whole time and then you got to play one match. Um, pretty, pretty crazy. Um, yeah, that was, I love the TSN format and I'll tell you guys, this is something I've not shared with anybody, but I said, I, I told Mike and a couple of close friends, I said, if they ever get me on that show, I said, I'm going to be a hell of a time to get off because I love the idea of the one frame, uh, match. It's basically 10, one frame matches. Score doesn't come into play unless you're tied at five, five. And I'd watch the TSN and I'm thinking to myself, so I see guys go up, the guy got to beat eleven. And he goes for the <laughs> headpin. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you, nuts? And you actually see me in the finals of the TSN, the first year I won it. My guy goes up and counts 12. And it's a carry over two frames. And I'm on a strike. And I tell the crowd I'm going to chisel. I actually <laughs> point. I'm going like this. I tell him, I'm going to throw outside. And I did. <laughs> you got to... That's the way I've always looked at playing. If you need a shot, I I'm I'm that I learned how to play that way. I learned how to try to hit it thin. But I'm saying, mm -hmm. if you look at it. Um, I can remember a guy losing the Open Singles Championship, the provincial. He needed 13 in the final frame. He punched a head pin and cherry both three pins off for 11. Then lost it by two. And I'm like, no way. I just, I never would have played it that way. Um, yeah, it was, um, it, it, it was an interest. It, you're right. It was, it was pressure packed. You know, you got to go on TV. You got to be ready. You get a few warm up shots. Then they turn the lights on and, and, and away you go. And it was, it was quite, um, intimidating. Um, you know, um, the first year went really well. The second year I, I didn't, but I didn't really bowl very well the second year, but I bowled enough. I had threw two horrible games, but I was lucky enough to win six frames in both the two games that I bowled bad. And that's the thing. If you're struggling, that's the thing about the TSM format. If you're struggling and the, and the score is close, and as long as it doesn't end up in that 5-5 five, five tie, if you're going for the frames, you don't have to worry about score. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I remember the finals of the uh, the second year. My guy, The guy shot 162, and I bowled a buck 90-something, and I won six frames. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we've had matches on the WCBT tour finals that have been that way, right? The guy wins six frames but lost lost score. It, exactly. 
Exactly. Um, every I miss every one of my losses are five five loss to pinfall. Every <laughs> one of my losses. You got to win six frames, bud. Yeah. yeah. I miss. I miss. I really do miss going to um, the KG tournament. Was uh, a really special event. Um, it, it was. I mean, I know it's like you. It, it was the forerunner of what you guys are doing now. But it, um, you know, they had doubles, doubles and triples. And of course, the Invitational. And I used to go the first year that I went out was in 1991, and we had 30 guys from Ontario that came out. 30. That's yeah. amazing. And uh, I was, uh, yeah. And it was uh, there's another good segue on that one. Um, that's when they were doing the top 48, and um, the the top 16 would get the buy on the two sides, which I think is a great idea to get more people into play. Anyways. Um, I didn't bowl very well the first round. I sat the second round, and my good friend, I hope he's listening, my, one of my mentors, Donnie Betts, who now lives in uh, Nova Scotia, he was going to bowl the third round, and he says, do you want to bowl, the, 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 you want to bowl this qualifying round? And I said, well, I said, look, we'll go splits. So I said, okay, we'll do a three-way split. So I qualified. Anyways, I'm going through the match play. I think I lost on the one side or whatever, and I ended up playing Mike, my Mike. First time, the only time we ever bowled against each other in 40 years. So if he wins, it's all our money. If I win, I got to split three ways. But I'm also, they've got, these guys have got me in the Calcutta. So I'm like, okay, you got to talk about this. Okay, you got to talk about this before you start. You got to talk, okay? So we're talking about it. And I, and I said to him, I said, look, I says, these guys were good enough to put the money to bankroll me and, and, and do the split. I said, I'm not going to screw my friends over money. We're going to play this straight down the line. Whoever wins, wins. It went down to the 29th frame. Oh, the wow. guy, that, another guy that was with us as part of the, uh, I call it the, uh, the, um, the syndicate, Billy Williams, another good friend of Donnie Betts, was pacing up and down. I think he wore a whole, it was like an old woman. He was pacing up and down so bad in, in the back. And um, uh, he says, I never saw two guys try to kill each other. And ended up, I ended up edging Mike 840 to 829. And then I lost in the finals um, to Mark Sawatsky. And that's when it was 10,000 for first and five for second. And the Calcutta was huge that year. It was 8,000 for first and four for second. So, oh, excuse me. And so these guys ended up winning, um, you know, the split on the 5,000 and the, um, uh, the Calcutta money. And I remember because uh, they took us out to dinner at Thomas Cook, uh, which is still there. And uh, Donnie and the guys picked up the tab uh, for all 30 guys. It was a $500 meal for all of us. And they gave the waitress a $100 tip and she almost had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. It, it's uh, kind of neat you talking about those stories. And once again, Five Pin Universe doesn't condone uh, any gambling. But, uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Investment- Investment Sorry. seminars Sorry. are Bowlers pretty investment big. seminar. That's right. That's right. That's right. Nailed it. They're getting <laughs> that way again, right? Like um, Regina's insane. TPC's getting up there. Uh, even Red Deer, uh, was it, I think 2019 was really high. It, it's it's nice to see it coming back around. Um, uh, what's his face from nwt that used to travel terry burns terry burns he, big he used to bring a lot of money down um and oh yes yes i remember stuff. that yeah 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 um and unfortunately with his passing so did that money and stuff like that but it's uh it's pretty cool to see that coming around again yeah especially especially regina regina has been the biggest one for sure there's been multiple people going over a thousand dollars yeah so it's definitely picked right up 
I'll tell you another humorous story about what happened in Saskatoon. The gentleman I used to room with, I was talking about part of the syndicate, Billy Williams. Whatever he used to travel, he always used to buy something for his wife. And he was he was he was he was secure enough that he would he would buy clothes for his wife wherever he went. And so we went across the street to the mall. You got to remember, this is 1991 or 92. So Saskatchewan was probably not as enlightened as it is now. Anyways, we went into <laughs> I think it was a Reitman's. And he held up this dress and he says, I think I'm thinking buy this for my wife. And I said, yeah. And he, and he looked and, he, and, and the, the saleswoman came over and, he, and she, he held up the dress and he said, what do you think of this? He says, I said, I don't know, but I don't know if they have it in my size. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the saleswoman was going to die on the spot. And I'm like, mm. I said, okay, I guess these. Yeah, it's not as uh, okay. Not as enlightened out here as uh, yeah. <laughs> as you'd like to be. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Um, so, also on your listing, you have uh, a tournament listed as the Dick Adams Memorial. You have five of those and mm -hmm. four of the three six nine Winter Classics. What kind of tournaments were those? Were they um, um, the, 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 the Dick Adams or? was a ten just a ten ten gamer ten gamer high pinfall. It started off in Oshawa at. Um, Oshawa Lane, uh, not Oshawa Lanes, at uh, Motor City Bowl, and when they moved over to, then they, they, they continued on at uh, North at Nebs. Um, the three six nine was a ten gamer. Of course, you get your strikes in the in the third, sixth, and ninth. Um, the one thing I can remember about that one is the last Dick Adams that they had on the Dick Adams. They only had twenty nine entries, but the proprietor, who's another good friend of mine, Tom England, guaranteed the first prize and only took a dollar for lineage. And a good friend of mine, Jeff Stevens, ended up rolling, I think it was 2,900 for 10 games, but he didn't win. I shot three, three grand. <laughs> and it was only 20, there's only 29 of us bowling. Um, yeah. The 369 was, the 369 tournament was a, a really good event. It always drew the best bowlers in, in, in the province for those 10 games. It was kind of fun bowling, getting a strike in the third, six, and ninth. So you're basically only bowling seven games, right? Instead of 10. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember that one. I think the last one that I won, I shot the first five games. I had nineteen ten, and with a four thirty three. Jesus. And sixteen hundred for my last five, so it ended up being thirty five ten for. That's when Nebs was free fall, and you, and you really could score in that place. Yeah. Wow. I should say that louder. You hear that, Jeff? Back when Nebs was good scoring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did say he was going to listen. I haven't been back to Ontario. I've been out here for 13. It'd be 13 years in May, and I haven't been back um, ever since we moved out here. So I can't really comment. I, I see the feeds, and of course, I see my my uh, my buddy Mike, my, Mike Herbert. Uh, conditions yeah. are good there now. The last time I the last time I was there, Christmas and a half ago, was the the closest I got to shooting a thousand for three. Um, the, wow. The, the, the conditions really did change dramatically in, you know, the, around that time. And uh, well, you know, it's certainly not like it was in the open in 2015 when it was a graveyard for almost everybody. Well, <laughs> one little, one little pet peeve I've have about five pin, and I know I'm going to get in trouble and apologies to Annette Bruno about the C5, but I think this whole idea about having different size pins and different size and different things, I don't like it. And I don't see, I, I understand what the C5 was trying to do, but I see things happening now, especially on the taller base pins and the 17 inches that you couldn't do 35 years ago. Like the ball skip in the corner. Like I've said, I've, I've done it myself. I'm throwing a three, nine, three, 10 ball at the speed that I throw and the ball skipping the corner. Uh -uh. It should never happen. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I get that we get then, different conditions. Like the, one of the arguments somebody gave me uh, was, well, we bowled on free fall and string. Well, I would agree with that, but we didn't change the size of the pins, nor did we change the placement of the pins. And we're the only game that does it. Um, I, I, do, I, I, I got some stats. The, I wrote some stuff. I got to see if I can find it now. I went in the C5 site and I looked at the perfect game records because they go back 46 years. And we had three consecutive seasons where there were over 20 perfect games. One of them was 25 perfect games shot in one year. This is before they even started screwing around with that. And, and there were the years that there were like seven perfect games. Well, you say to yourself, well, what happened? Did everybody just bull bat? No, it's, there's always one constant that always remains in the game. It doesn't matter. It's the band. It's always the band that makes the pinfall happen. Lane conditions, yes, has a lot to do with it. But if you have bad bands, you're going to have bad scores. Yeah, I'll agree with that. That's for my, sure. That that's my that's my rant. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think uh, the black bases. You know what? The black bases on the wood. Um, it, it really helped our pinfall, and we didn't get the we didn't get the balls. Um, you know, jumping in front of the two pins. Uh, when we went to synthetics, we definitely have way more. Uh, way more balls jump at the two pins now that they have the synthetics and the black bases. You add in the well, 17s I, 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 on center, you're, and you're way worse. worse. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, the, the reason that happens on the 17 is because the ball is not hitting the rear quadrant of the band. It's now hitting the front quadrant of the band. Yeah. So it's now defl- in a place where it's going to deflect more. And mm-hmm. like I said, I've thrown three nine, three ten balls. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to wrap this up because I'm almost out of juice, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On my phone, I mean. Yeah. yeah um, um, one no other thing I wanted. To, yeah, go ahead. I wanted, right, right one sh- sh- I wanted to give a shout out to, a, a, I hope he's listening in Nova Scotia. He's a guy that he talked about. He wasn't really an instructor, but he was a great mentor of mine. Is uh, um, The great Donnie Betts, who's also, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Hall of Fame. And has been a mm-hmm. friend of mine for over 40 years as well. I hope he's listening. And I says, I miss you. And um, I hope to see you again one day, but he is uh, an absolute, he is listening. Okay. Hi, Donnie. (laughs) Uh, He's absolutely, he's like the Robin Williams, Robin Williams on the lanes. He's just, uh, we had so many good times in Saskatoon in that tournament. Yeah. Everybody that you talked about tonight, Greg was been on there, even John Willock and he appreciates you bringing up the 448. So. (laughs) (laughs) John, John, John knows. John also has two perfect games as well. So I don't. I I, I know he was disappointed with that four forty eight, but it was just one of these little quirks that I had to throw in there. But yeah, I did oh, have yeah. a free fall on occasion. For yeah. sure. So um, before um, your phone I, dies I, on I, you. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, Gray. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say this is a, a, a good story about the first perfect game that I shot. Uh, the Masters was doing a tournament at Stellar Lanes and we did a match play instead of qualifying, which is match play from the get-go. And the guy that I drew never showed up. He, he, we were waiting and waiting and waiting. He finally called. He said there was some kind of traffic accident or something. He was delayed. So we were sitting around for 20 minutes waiting for this guy to show up. So we start off. And of course, we were rolling on the TSN lanes, 13 and 14. And um, I start off, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And I was like, oh, okay, 10 in a row. We've been here before. Let's see if we can get 11. I throw 11, left pocket, get a string pull on the right corner. Everybody screams in the house. <laughs> and, uh, and the last shot I'm going up, this first time, first attempt at a perfect game, and I'm thinking to myself, just hit the goddamn head pin. Jesus, don't miss. Just hit it. 
flush left pocket strike. So I bowled a perfect game. And I, the guy's name is Mike Delaney. He's a lefty. I don't know if he remembers this or not, but um, yeah, so that was uh, uh, that thing waiting for 20 minutes. It was kind of neat because uh, they gave a trip for um, uh, on Air Canada, uh, anywhere in Canada for a perfect game, which was kind of awesome. cool. Yeah. That was really cool. I got one more story for you. The greatest adjustment you're ever going to see. My Mike, we were bowling a tournament in um, in Guelph and uh, Kitchener, and he pulled a groin muscle at uh, Guelph, and he shot 1,008 for five games. And he didn't want to come back the next day because he was hurting. So I said to him, I said, well, we're bowling on double diamond tomorrow. I says, I'll show you how to throw the ball. I'll just dump the ball on the lane and just let it roll. And we went to plantation, as it turned out to be, and um, uh, he learned how to do it. And he said, okay, I'll try it tomorrow. So he goes in the next day. First frame, he decides to get stubborn and try his old way. Counts three. Three. Okay. Then he starts dumping the ball. He then rolls 1701, which is a men's record in the tournament division for five games. Mm-hmm. Talk about an adjustment. 1008 yeah. to 1701. Crazy. J- JB, you've got a story here you'd like to share? Yeah, just a quick one. Uh, a civil one, Greg. So um, when I was getting ready to move out of Toronto, um, I started realizing there were a bunch of places in Toronto I hadn't bowled because I didn't get the chance to bowl there much as a kid. I was bowling mostly in Peel. And so um, I took the subway up to Finch. I wandered into Newtonbrook. It was the only time I ever bowled there. I don't remember when exactly it was, probably around 2005, 2006, something like that. And yep. I just went in to throw a few games. Uh, I'd never seen the place before. And then this guy walks in, dragging a suitcase full of balls. <laughs> and I kind of went like this. I said, okay, that's interesting. And I, so then he threw one ball and I went, holy shit, pederitis. <laughs> right? So that was an easy thing. And you, I think you were literally on the next pair over from me. And so I'm, I have a rule in my life. I don't go where I'm not invited. So when I meet people that I watched bowl on TV, uh, I don't go up and talk to them because who the hell am I? Who wants to hear from me? So I just kind of, I, I, I sat there for a while. Um, and I watched you for a while and I, I probably just tried to find an excuse to make a couple of comments to let you know that I existed and was paying attention and I knew who you were and was watching. And, um, and you know, I, I, I really am just, I'm struck by how gracious you were in talking to me, this guy you never met, you never saw again, um, and help me out a little bit with my game, even though it seems like you, I've lost you now and maybe that means your phone died, uh, then you can always just watch this back in the recording. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I, so for the benefit of everyone else out there, uh, oh, great. You are still there. Um, I just want to say that I really appreciate you, Greg, yep, for, still here. Yep. For, for treating me like that. Um, and it's, you know, it is one of the things that after a long layoff kind of made me feel like I was still part of the bowling community. Um, and so it's really neat for me, you know, 15 years later to get a chance to I think, I, I think... show with you. 
I, I, thank you. That, that's very kind of you to say. I think that's one of the responsibilities we have uh, when we get better and, and we have success in the game. Uh, we People talk about oh, what we owe to the game. I, I don't look at it like that. I look at it uh, like we need to pass on the knowledge, like the stories that I told you tonight, uh, the things that happened. If I don't tell them, then they get lost. And, and this is all part of our history. That's what I, that the, the great stories that Fraser Hambly used to tell me about the, his heyday. If we don't pass on this information, it gets lost. And I, I think it's important to mentor. I think that's one of the things that's missing in the game that I was lucky enough to have to a certain degree, uh, the mentoring system. And, and I, I do that. I do that through coaching. I, I'm a very selective coach. I, I will, I will coach if someone asks me to coach. I don't usually go, go over and offer my, as, as you said, JB, you know, uh, intrusion and thing. Um, like for example, um, I've worked with um, uh, both um, uh, Michaela and Marcello over at Toppler Bowl. Um, I was asked one day, that's actually a really good story. I was asked uh, by Stacy because I, I used to uh, see before play, and 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 Stacy said, "Well, do you think you could help uh, Michaela?" And I said, "Sure." I says, I, I'll work with it. anybody's going to learn. I'm, you know, ready thing. And, um, and it worked out really well as she was, a, a willing, that's all I ask about somebody. If I'm working with them is that they listen, um, and, and yeah. be open to new ideas. Um, you know, I think by the time you're a teenager, you're, 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 um, your style is probably set and I would never recommend tearing down somebody's game unless it was absolutely necessary at the time she would have been i guess about eight or nine when she when when i started working with her was that it he was he was teetering yeah he was teetering there for a while yeah okay that's too bad that is well, too I, bad. Unfortunately, I would like to pick up what he said, though, because that's part of the reason why I drag my ass out there on Saturdays. Um, you know, and I, um, I've been thinking a lot about this, and, and what really came to me is that I would love for some kid, you know, that I worked with in their 20s, 30s, 40s to be telling stories about me the same way that I tell stories about the coaches who were really influential to me. That I, Even if I never end up you know, reaching any of the competitive goals I have for myself. I think that having that kind of a legacy, if anybody should want to talk about me uh, <laughs> after I'm gone, even once, then, you know, then that's, that's the mark that totally. I can leave on the game. I, it's funny. Cause I just, uh, I just talked to Dexter about it earlier today and I was talking mm-hmm. to, I sent it over to Cindy last night. It was uh, when we had Tom on and I said, I got to get my editorial done. I wrote about paying it forward. Right, and that that that's what my editorial is about. It's about how like, I was fortunate growing up, and and I was where I was, and it's about paying it forward to the next generation, right? And that's how we, I think, what we all have to uh, understand and pay and and carrying those stories and carrying that all along, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah I exactly. think we're really lucky. We have we have such a great community out here, and and uh, you know, and and across the country, and and people are really willing to help and. Um, and I, I think honestly, and as as simple and as dumb as this sounds, I think 
I think the biggest, most important thing you could be is approachable. You know, if if people are willing to even just come out and hey, say hey, like hey, I'm so and so, and have a conversation with them if they want help, give them a pointer or two. Just, but but be approachable, and, and I think that's so important in our game because that'll that'll further the relationships down the road, and you know, better better everybody. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's super important. I give yeah. the kids a little speech just before, like the provincials. Usually, I just tell them, "Okay, look, I'm here. I'm here to help. I'm going to keep an eye on you. Um, there might be a point where I start to walk over to talk to you. I'm here to help. If you don't want to hear from me, all you have to do is this. Even if you got a scowl on your face, just do this. And I know, okay, not a time to talk to you. That's cool. Yeah. And I think that that really helps them feel like. And now I get. Kids who I met when they were like 11 or 12, because I can't handle little kids, who by the time they're 14 or 15, will just walk right up to me and say, I need help. Come over and watch me. And that, that warms my heart to know that they're that that they, they see me that way. Totally. Yep, absolutely. That's all we can really hope for, really. Uh, yeah. Our legacy as human beings will outlast our legacy as a bowler. Right? So... Yeah. yeah, and since I don't have kids, it's nice to be able to rent the ones the lanes for a couple of hours on Saturday and then give them back to their parents and let them be their responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep, yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, so um, I just like thank everybody for joining in and listening to Greg's stories and JB's project. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get Greg's duck pin side of his stories. If people mm. didn't know, Greg uh, was the first Canadian to make a cut on the duck pin pro tour. Um, he started kind of that influx of Canadians going down to Maryland and Baltimore area to play those tournaments. And, uh, um, hopefully that is a thing again. Uh, I know the duck pin pro tour has been canceled. I'm not sure if they're going to be running this summer or not. They usually run during the, the spring and summer months, but, um, so if anybody ever runs into Greg, maybe ask him about that. If we can't get him on for a small segment later on down the road or, how that works. Um, when, do you do guys have get, when do we get our trip together down to Argentina to, uh, to Bullduckton? Argentina. Argentina. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they Argentina play and the Philippines are the two big other big, big countries in, uh, in the world, uh, in the global network. Five pin you live from Argentina. I like it. <laughs> Playing hard. Hey, you, know what? you know what? JB, it's your incentive. You hit 260, we'll talk about it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone heard it, right? That's right. <laughs> I'm committed to it. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. Uh, do you guys have any final words before we uh, close this podcast down? Um, well, Kathy, you want to watch my score? Um, I'm, I'm grateful that Greg came on, okay. and I, I like to thank Greg, and I, I do like to thank that uh, JB for hopping on tonight. Um, for what we thought maybe was uh, kind of going to be a loose cannon tonight, turned out to be a pretty good night. So I do thank everybody for sticking on. Um, yeah, it was really good. So thank you guys for a great night. Yeah. Um, and always great like- chatting with the JB. Thank you for coming on. Honestly, awesome. Uh, you always have such a positivity uh, to life and and the game, and uh, it's it's awesome. We we really appreciate you. Next week's guest. Next week's guest we do have booked, and it's going to be all the way from Regina. It is Brad Moans, so we're looking forward to bringing Brad Moans on, and hopefully our part timer uh, podcaster will join us next week, Mister DB. 
He yeah. is. Uh... <laughs> what what is it? He here we are, number eighty five. And Carrie, have you, Carrie? I don't think you've missed one, right? You and I, we were the two that haven't missed one. I was supposed to miss one, and then we all missed it. It didn't happen. Yeah. So here's Daryl. He's been around for what six podcasts, and he decides to take a vacation. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. <laughs> we love you, DB. Don't take it personally. All right. But where's the commitment? That's right. All right. Thanks, guys. Take Thanks, care, guys. everybody.